This is Expert Insights, Physician Views and News, a podcast with the nationally recognized physicians at the Christ Hospital Health Network. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. The introduction of laparoscopic surgery for treating many common surgical conditions, such as gallbladder disease and abdominal wall hernias, has transformed the landscape of surgery. Thanks to innovations in robotic technology, surgeons are able to perform hernia repair surgery through tiny incisions rather than the large incisions associated with traditional open surgery. The result is less damage to surrounding tissue, less pain for the patient, and a much quicker recovery. Here to speak with us today about robotic hernia repair is Dr. Jonathan Schilling. He's a practicing general and laparoscopic surgeon with the Christ Hospital Health Network. Welcome to the show. Dr. Schilling, explain a little bit about the evolution of robotic surgery. Great. Um, Robotic surgery is not a new technology at all now. It's almost been out for about 20 years. And general surgeons are a little slow to join the uh, revolution of robotic surgeons. But what it is is a, a platform um, that it offers a lot more technology so that more surgeons can offer more complicated types of operations to more patients um, through a minimally invasive uh, technique. The robot is a not an automated platform. It offers uh, 3D high-definition optics. It offers a very stable, wristed technology so that you can do lots of uh, surgery just simply by using the robot, whereas traditional laparoscopic surgery requires a lot of extra tools and, and workarounds. Uh, robotic surgery offers all of those benefits and more um, through the, its existing platform. And uh, general surgeons now for the last maybe five years or more are starting to adapt um, the robot in part of their practice, and I'm one of them. And as it's more precise, speak a little bit about the Da Vinci Surgical System and what that offers patients. So the Da Vinci Surgical System offers um, precision like you've never seen it before with a traditional open or laparoscopic technique. I have up to 10x magnification and um, with three dimension and also using fluorescence, I'm able to go in and uh, cause much less tissue trauma or damage to surrounding areas when I'm going after the, uh, let's say, a hernia or gallbladder or colon cancer I'm operating on so that um, I can kind of go in, do what I need to get done, and then close it up. And what, what it gives the patient is less pain, less bruising, less scarring, and that often translates into less time spent in the hospital, less time spent recovering, uh, quicker resumption of normal activities, and uh, hopefully for most people, improved satisfaction. And what about for the surgeons? What are the benefits for you with this more precise surgical system? Um, it it's, uh, comes in a lot of different ways. I can offer more minimally invasive surgery to more patients. Uh, typically, when you're doing a lot of laparoscopic surgery, there are limitations. Not every patient is a candidate for laparoscopic surgery. And while not every patient is a candidate for robotic surgery either, uh, using robotics definitely increases the number of patients I'm able to offer minimally invasive surgery. So I think that by alone is, is, a, is a great benefit to the surgeon. Um, in addition to that, it offers um, improved ergonomics and comfort for a surgeon. A lot of times, laparoscopic surgery is not very comfortable to do. You're often contorting your back and your neck and your arms in ways um, that weren't really designed to do um, for long hours in the day. So being able to use a robot, you're kind of 
uh, ergonomics are a big part of the operation where you're um, sitting in a, in a comfortable area using a tool um, designed to actually take pressure and strain off of your back and neck instead of add to it. What about the learning curve? Is it difficult to learn? Actually, the, the robot, I think, is easier to learn um, as a new technology versus um, someone who's never done laparoscopic surgery. Uh, laparoscopic surgery um, definitely has a role, um, a big role in general surgery, but it's uh, pretty cumbersome to learn. And, uh, you know, residents and, and medical students and everybody spends a lot of time to try to learn these techniques because they're not always intuitive. Um, whereas a robotic surgery, um, you know, Oftentimes you can you can sit behind a console even as a novice and at least get the get the general idea about how to use the technology and um, it's it's a lot more user friendly and I think what a lot of uh, surgeons are finding is it's easier to make the jump between open to robotic surgery than it is to make the jump between open to laparoscopic surgery. And I think you see that a lot in, in, in hernia specifically, because in hernia repairs, we, we have data that show laparoscopic hernia is better than open hernia, by and large, for, for most things. But for some reason, even though people have been doing laparoscopic surgery since the 90s, um, we don't see a majority of laparoscopic hernias being done. Uh, the majority of hernia repairs are, that are done in this country are open still. And we think a lot of that is because of the the time it takes um, and how difficult it is to, to learn laparoscopic hernia surgery. So you don't get um, everybody adopting these techniques. And with, the, uh, with, with robotics, I think it, it offers another platform for uh, robotic or for open surgery, uh, open hernia surgeons to kind of transcend into that minimally invasive world because I think there's a lot of benefits uh, for patients there. And so if they're able to make that transition, I think it should, you know, kind of offer for, you know, and promote more minimally invasive operations for most people. What's the clinical presentation of a hernia? How does it identify some complications if left untreated? And what are some common conditions and factors that lead to a hernia? So hernias, uh, the best way to describe a presentation would be a painful bulge. And the most common kinds of hernias you're going to see are either at, in the in the abdominal front, the uh, umb umbilical region, or in the groin, in the inguinal region. So a painful bulge, and sometimes that bulge sticks out and you can't push it back in. That's called incarceration. Other times that bulge is easily pushed back in, and that's called a reducible hernia. And... Uh, Really, there's there's different stages of these hernias. So if you have a symptom-free or painless bulge that easily pushes back in, that would be uh, typically considered an asymptomatic hernia. And uh, oftentimes, those patients aren't offered surgery or aren't, aren't recommended surgery. They they can uh, manage their condition expectantly, which means once you start developing pain, then it is an indication for a hernia repair. That's based off long long. Uh, large amount of data that show that once you start developing painful bulge, then the predictability of that hernia becomes um, unsure. You don't know if that hernia is going to become incarcerated or the worst complication, which would be strangulated. A strangulated hernia is where the hernia itself is not reducible and it's trapped 
in the hernia sac outside of the body. And then the blood supply to whatever is trapped in there gets uh, compromised. So that means if it's a piece of fat like the omentum or preperitoneal fat, or if it's a piece of intestine, um, those, those types of tissues then without blood supply for several hours will start to develop ischemia and then potentially necrosis. And necrosis is a uh, a pretty serious complication. It can lead to sepsis. Uh, if you have necrotic tissue within a strangulated hernia, that's going to be a much more uh, difficult and challenging repair with higher complication risk. And sometimes you don't get to use a permanent piece of mesh that you'd want to use. And there's a lot of, you know, going into that mesh topic, it's uh, um, it's, it's another topic in of itself. But uh, what I tell my patients is this. You know, when when you have a painful hernia, you should get it fixed. If it is a severely, um, you know, 10 out of 10 sharp pain that brings you to your knees that you can't push it back in and you're looking at a strangulation, there's no doubt about it. you got to get it fixed immediately. And the idea is to find those patients with hernias and get them fixed before they're strangulated because that strangulated hernia repair, while... Odds are someone's not going to die from that, that that kind of presentation. It's certainly not the the best, most advisable way to to you know just kind of wait until you absolutely have to get the hernia repair done. You're looking at increased infection rates, increased uh, hernia recurrence rates, the possibility of a bowel resection or intestinal resection. You're looking at several days in the hospital, and um, on, on top of all on, on top of all that, there's the uh, inability to predict when this type of thing is going to happen. So, um, you know, oftentimes you're doing these on the weekends, at night, on the holidays, and, you know, it just adds a lot of stress and trauma unnecessarily if you can find these patients ahead of time before they get strangulations and, and get them fixed. Speak about patient selection criteria. Does the selection of patients appear to interfere with the success of the technique when you're using robotic hernia repair? That's an excellent question. So uh, it's all it's all about patient selection and tailoring the type of operation for that specific hernia and for that specific patient. Um, there's a few things um, about hernia repairs that you know patients coming in with pre-existing conditions like the like really significant heart and lung disease that would prevent them from undergoing general anesthesia. Right away, for those very sick patients that maybe have a, a pretty significant hernia problem, um, those types of patients aren't going to be good candidates for minimally invasive hernia surgery. So they would they would go towards a open hernia repair still. Um, if you have patients that are habitual smokers or uh, morbidly overweight, more often than not, if the, the hernia is not an emergency, then you spend time... Uh, counseling that patient for smoking cessation and weight loss because those are two major factors that are controllable and modifiable that will, if the patient's able to stop smoking for four to six weeks pre-op or if the patients are able to reduce their uh, boss, uh, their uh, BMI, then um, the not only is the surgery going to go smoother for somebody, but also the risk of recurrence is going to drop for them. And so th- those are the types of things we we see in uh, in the outpatient setting and what we, we talk about with patients. And um, once once we've kind of optimized uh, the patient the best we can, then we, we go ahead and perform that elective hernia surgery. And again, that procedure is kind of based on the location of the hernia, whether they have, whether it's incarcerated or not, whether we anticipate a lot of 
less scar tissue, whether we anticipate the size of mesh we're putting in the body. Um, certainly, uh, if patients are diabetic or have a history of uh, skin infections, then a minimally invasive repair is going to be preferential. And um, you know, we, we we look at all those characteristics of the patient and uh, then kind of customize a uh, customize an approach, whether it's going to be a minimally invasive approach or an open approach. Are there some technical challenges that still need to be overcome, Dr. Schilling? Sure. There's 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 always there's always uh, techniques that you can you can work on, and you know, for for robot, uh, I think the the knee jerk reaction for for most people when you talk about the robot is cost. And um, for my robotic journey and learning the robot and adapting it to my patients, you know, the the mantra is the first thing you do with robotic hernia or with robotic anything is you get safe at it. You make sure that you're providing safe surgery for patients. Uh, the next thing you do is you you worry about um, getting uh, faster at it because robotic surgery and minimally invasive surgery in general um, takes more time. And you don't want to put a patient under anesthesia any longer than you have to. So once once you've proven that you can do a safe operation, then you try to improve the speed of it so that it's in a uh, not not racing uh, surgery or anything, but working efficiently. You know, you you get you perform technical mastery of these skills so that you're able to uh, do this surgery uh, in a very uh, effective amount of time. And then you can reduce start reducing the cost of these surgeries because I think the knee jerk reaction is that robot surgery is so much more expensive than traditional surgeries. And when you compare them to open surgery, you, you're, I'm completely in agreement. Open surgery typically costs less than a robotic surgery or laparoscopic surgery. And that's the cost of you know, using the instruments, the tools, and the cost of the operating room time. But I think where you, you find differences and where you find improvements is once that you're safe and once that you're efficient at using the robot, the robot you start um, trimming down some of the instruments that you're using with the robot. And you can actually make robotic hernia surgery very cost-effective. And then when you look at the bigger picture of cost, you're looking at um, when, when does a, how much narcotics a patient is using post-op and when are they getting back to work. Because I think the bigger picture of cost is can, are we returning people back to work sooner so that they're not missing extra time off work? Are we getting people back to, you know, if they're caregivers for children or for um, the elderly, then are we getting them back to normal activities sooner? And I think that's a that's a often overlooked part of cost that, that we don't take into consideration. But um, I think that's where you find the technical challenges is when, when people are learning these robot robotic techniques is you're trying to get safe and then you're trying to be efficient. And then you're trying to, to use technology to um, really to drop the cost so that this is a type of operation that you can you can offer to most people regardless if they have commercial insurance or Medicare or Medicaid or anything because it becomes essentially the right thing to do for people. In summary, doctor, tell other physicians what you'd like them to know about hernia repair using the da Vinci surgical system and when to refer to a specialist. So uh, for robotic hernia repair, it's not for everybody all the time, but it is for most people most of the time. And I think, by and large, uh, robotic hernia surgery should be done by somebody experienced um, in all different types of hernia treatments, whether it's an open repair, a laparoscopic repair, or a robotic repair, because and I tell my patients, my, my refer, referring doctors all the time that uh, hernias are complicated and patients are complicated. And so at any, at any point in time when I'm sitting down to counsel my patients, you know, first and foremost, we, we look at the hernia, we, we 
you know, try to get all the information on board with the patient, you know, if they've had prior surgeries, prior hernia repairs, old mesh products used. We, we talk to the patient all their medical problems that might uh, be involved in complicating the hernia repair. And then we talk about the goals of a hernia repair because one of the most important concepts to understand with hernia is nobody cures hernias. Hernias are a hole in connective tissue of the abdominal wall, and nobody it, nobody cures that. Nobody cuts out a hole, um, and it just replaces it with a larger hole. So every time a patient undergoes hernia repair, it is a repair. It is a patch. And so I think all all doctors that are trying to fix hernias are trying to put their best patch forward and trying to you know do what they think is the right thing to do to reduce um, not only complication rate of the operation itself, but l- to reduce the recurrence rate long term. And I think, uh, you know, under- understanding that that's the kind of work that a hernia surgeon is doing and understanding how complex it is, I think, you know, anybody that has a bulge, whether it's symptomatic or not, I think deserves a consultation with a, a hernia specialist because talking to those patients, then it helps them understand when and why they need to get hernia surgery. If, you know, there's plenty of patients out there with hernias that don't need to drop everything they're doing to to go and get their hernia done immediately. Uh, But there's plenty of patients out there that are probably, you know, have a hernia that maybe uh, 10 years ago someone said they didn't need to get it fixed, but maybe they should get it fixed now, but nobody's really told them that. And those patients are out there lurking around and, um, you know, I'm trying to find them all and try to, you know, just inform people and teach people about hernias, whether it's, you know, the primary care base or, you know, individual patients through um, events like this and, you know, trying to understand where hernia repair fits for everybody. Because I think, you know, having a minimally invasive option that lets people get back to work quicker um, using less narcotics is, uh, is more favorable than, you know, the traditional open repair in many instances. Thank you so much, Dr. Schilling. It is great information. You're listening to Expert Insight, Physician Views and News with the Christ Hospital Health Network. For more information on Dr. Schilling and all of the Christ Hospital physicians, you can go to tchpconnect.org. That's tchpconnect.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.